please stand as we read God's word from Philippians. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things I've been made aware of as I, as I journey through this book that's been just a rich blessing to my soul, it's been, it's been so good, uh, is that we were made to fight. We were made to contend. We were made to battle. And you're noticing a theme in our service today that we think that God has called us to that. Um, this past week, every single one of us has probably been tempted to fight for the wrong things. Uh, the election showed that, that we're maybe a little more divided than we thought we were as a country. And every single one of us has been tempted uh, to, to fight for our candidate, to justify our vote, to, to fight for our political party, or to simply fight in our apathy. I mean, all of those are temptations, and I think the Scriptures call us to, to fight for the right thing. I mean, I was sitting uh, in, a, in a counseling session this week, and I had uh, the lady in it was a teacher. Actually, the couple's a te- they're both teachers. They were just saying how terrified their kids were of the election. You know, our, our, our county that we live in uh, is a very diverse county. And so I, I think one of the things that, um, that we want to be consciously aware of is the fact that people are hurting all around us. Uh, and the thing that the Scriptures call us to do is to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Not to belittle people's concerns, but to labor for love in the lives of one another. That's what the church is called to do. So today, what I want to do as we move on through our series is we're going to answer this question. What should we fight for as Christ church? What should we fight for? And it's, I love ex- expositional preaching because I didn't plan this out. It is a perfect text for where we are as a church, where we are as a country, where we are as a nation, all of those things. So, so I think that the scriptures from Philippians 4, 1 through 7 call us to fight for three things. Unity wholeness, and an awareness of God's presence. Uh, and so we're going to get into that today. So let me pray for us as we, as we labor in this text together and we, we search to dig for gold that will bless our souls. Our Father, we, we ask that You'd meet us today. Father, we ask that You'd set aside anything in our hearts that might take prominence over Your glory. Father, we pray that You'd, you'd meet us. We'd know Your nearness That you would silence the enemy and his attempts to tempt us to giving things, other things, glory in our lives. Father, we pray that you'd meet us through Philippians 4 today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm convinced that uh, that it's the proximity 
of God's presence that leads us to fight the right battle. So, in other words, when we see and we become aware of how near God is to us, we fight for the right things as God's people. But when God seems distant, when He seems far off, we tend to drift and fight for the wrong things. We tend to fight to be right instead of to be reconciled. And the Scriptures lead us into that. So let's look at number one. The first thing. The Scriptures call us to fight for unity. Peace on the outside with others. So let me look quickly at Philippians 4, 1-3. It's interesting in this text that uh, there's this little aside where Paul is he's writing to encourage the church corporately, but he also hears about some issues that are going on in the church. And these are his friends. He planted this church. He, he wants nothing more than to see the church be unified. So he mentions these two ladies that are in some type of a quarrel. I'll read it real quick for you. Uh, I entreat you, Iodia, I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You know, I had a professor in college. He was, you know, he was, he was actually in seminary. He was... He was encouraging us as future pastors. He said, but I don't want you guys to over-romanticize this thing that you're going to pastor churches, you're going to preach to people. Because sometimes, you know what the sheep do? They bite. The sheep bite sometimes. The sheep are gentle, but they bite sometimes. They bite each other. They bite the shepherd. And this is what Paul is experiencing he's writing about here in Philippians 4. I mean, it's, this conflict must be serious enough for Paul uh, to address. Now, uh, I've got some encouragement for you. If you haven't been hurt or sinned by someone in the church, I've got good news for you. It's coming. Okay, it's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And, And if we have a church that doesn't bruise one another as we work out our salvation in Christ, we're probably not actually living as the family of God. We're probably like, you, you know, this, this, this family just gets, gets together around the holidays and we kind of smile and shake hands and kiss babies and we move on. Um, but we can expect that we're going to hurt each other. Um, not wound each other, but there are going to be times where we hurt each other. And we're going to need to repent. And Paul addresses this right uh, here and now. Notice how he tells these two ladies to work it out. He doesn't say, hey guys, move on. It was just a small deal. Keep going. He says, I want to encourage you to agree. To agree to just kind of just brush it off. No, he says, I want, you, I want to encourage you to agree in the Lord. So their relationship with the Lord is the central piece of them being able to work out the conflict. So in other words, the proximity of their presence to God because of the reconciling love of Jesus Christ is what will give them the ability to work it out. It will be the Holy Spirit that makes them one. Not their ability to get along with one another. So that's the first thing he says. I want to encourage you to agree in the Lord. Really work this thing out. I'm reminded of Philippians 2.5 that we looked at several weeks ago. It has this, in the New English Bible, it has this, this I think it's the best transla- translation of the verse. It says this, Let your bearing toward one another rise out of your life in Christ. So your life in Christ will enable you to bear toward one another well, to love well. You'll not be able to love well and to love deeply unless the love of Christ is coming out of you toward your neighbors. 
That's how it works out. Now we've all had, uh, a lot of us have had conflicts with, with, with folks uh, in Jesus' church before. Uh, and I, uh, Megan and I had, have a particular story of just being pretty deeply wounded uh, by a church that we served in uh, years and years ago. And, uh, and it really hurt us to kind of walk through that. And, I, and I, sometimes I realize that there's still stuff God is working out in me as we move forward uh, in Christ. And I was, was thinking about a, uh, a, a situation where I was raising money to start New City Church. Uh, this is probably three years ago. And, and I was in this meeting with this very wealthy uh, foundation uh, kind of advisor. He was, he was kind of directing the money in the foundation. And you really want to get on this, good, this guy's good side if you want their foundation to contribute money uh, to the church that you feel called to plant, right? I mean, that's the goal. Well, immediately as I walk into this meeting, I'm feeling like misunderstood, kind of judged. And I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like force fit something. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in those situations? And, and, and I, I feel frustrated, and as I leave, I, here's my thought as I shake the guy's hand. Well, that went terrible. See you in heaven. You know, that was kind of my thought, right? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever left a relationship or, or a conflict, and you've kind of just settled for that? Well, I guess I'll see you in heaven. Hopefully I'm on the other gold street, though, you know? Um, <laughs> but the Lord really convicted me, right, after that. Uh, he convicted me that that's, that's not reconciliation. And so I had this kind of... Hanging my head low, I called him back, hey, I really need to get together, and I didn't ask him for a dime. I just said, hey, look, I handled that really poorly. It hurt my, you know, my heart was hurting, and I just asked him to forgive me, and I've never talked to him again. So sometimes in conflict, it, it's not always rainbows and butterflies as you move on, but you're still responsible to bring it under the blood of Christ as a Christian. So what I want to do is I'm going to quickly give you four principles for biblically handling conflict. Uh, that I think are all present, actually, in this text. So the first one is this. Deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly. Uh, deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let's start, actually, Ephesians 4. Let me give you the whole Scripture. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, is this particularly talking about conflict? Indirectly, I think so. This anger is a form of conflict, but there's a principle in it that is super helpful for all of us. We ought to deal with conflict quicker than we think we need to. We ought to move toward the conflict, even though it's super painful and everything in our flesh wants to run 90 miles an hour in the other direction. When we confront conflict, it's always better. In fact, I would say this, I've, ne I've never been in a situation where I've confronted conflict quickly and I've not been blessed by it. Think about that. Secondly, all conflict is worth confronting. So maybe uh, Iodia and Sintiki, uh, <laughs> it's a hard, hard name, it's not, a, it's not an American name, so I'm struggling a little bit with it. They had an issue, and maybe they thought, hey, it's not really that big of a deal. Paul, we're just going to press on through this. What was worth dealing with? Maybe you've got, you've got something in mind right now that you know you've got to deal with something with someone, and you're, you're thinking, I'm just going to let this thing roll off, and I'm just going to keep moving forward. Well, it seems like in the Scriptures that Jesus thinks that, that unity in His body is so important that all threats against that unity, all conflict, is worth dealing with. It's all worth dealing with. He says, rejoice in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 
4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. This is kind of this theme. But in verse 3, he gives one of the reasons for them to rejoice because of the fact that their names are written in the book of life. So he's saying, hey guys, think about the end story. Where does this thing end for Christians? Our names are written in the book of life. It's finished. The battle's over. We're in Christ. What could be more important than that? What could be worth laboring over and going to the mat over more than the fact that your name is written in the book of life? What's more important than that? And I even think about those of you in this church that I have bruised or wounded with my carelessness. Sometimes I have a tendency to, you know, the Scriptures say in Ephesians 4, to speak the truth in love. Sometimes I speak the truth without love. Does anybody else do that? Does that ever happen in your life? Sometimes you, you speak the truth, you're quick to get to the truth, but sometimes you don't do it with love. But I think about those that I've, that I've wounded with my words in this church, and every single one of you where we've had this kind of conflict, our, our relationship is sweeter because of that, because we've had to experience the reconciling love of Christ together. Our relationship is sweeter than that. Eugene Peterson says it like this, there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church. But then he says this, but there's no other place to be a Christian than the church. Think about that. There's no other place to be a redeemed sinner than the church. Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 give us just, I'm going to quickly read a few verses out of each of these to kind of give us the biblical backing for what I'm suggesting here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That's your responsibility. Your brother sins against you. You individually go and tell your brother his fault, your sister. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. So what's the principle here? If someone sins against you, you are the victim of someone sinning against you, hurting you, gossiping uh, against, slandering your name, doing all of these things, whatever it would be. You have a responsibility to go to your brother first. Go to your sister first. You tell them. You don't tell 99 other people and then you go tell them. You go tell them directly. If that doesn't seem to, to, the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to reconcile you in that moment, and He does nine times out of ten, right? Maybe even more than that, 99 times out of 100. Then bring a couple people with you. Bring the body of Christ with you. If you're not reconciled after that, then take it to the elders of the church. Let them help you work it out. And that's the true yoke fellow mentioned in, uh, in Philippians 4 here. It's probably this guy named Epaphroditus who likely carried this letter from Paul's Roman jail cell to the city of Philippi. So that's, that's how you deal with it if someone sins against you. Um, <clears throat> or if you s- suspect that someone thinks that you've sinned against them, here's what Matthew 5 says. So if you're offering your gift at the altar there, and remember that your brother has something against you. Listen to this. This, this is mind-blowing for me. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying here is that the best form of worship that you can give is to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, more, it's better than any song that you can sing, any check that you can write, any sermon that you can preach. It's to live out the love of God in relationship with one another. 
So if necessary, we bring the body around you. We just mentioned that. And number four, this. Refuse to gossip at all costs. We talk, we talk about this at length in our, um, in our covenant partner class because there's no quicker way to sign the death certificate of a church than to let gossip go wild. I'm telling you, and there, there, there's already been the buddings of this in our church at times, and we've kind of, kind of had to nip it in the bud. Because if you let it go, it will grow like wildfire. So what would it look like for us as a church to refuse gossip at all cost? To, to even have the painful conversation where we're sharing life with someone and they're maybe starting to go down a road of sharing something they don't need to share about someone else. What would it look like to say, hey, have you talked to them about this? And just kind of cut it off. I'm telling you, we start doing that, we're going to be a city on a hill in Lawrenceville. We're going to be the salt of the earth in Lawrenceville. This describes our church, and I think it does. I just want to see it continue to move forward. Because the fact is, we no longer have anything to prove except for the fact that Jesus loves us and none of us deserve it. That's what we have to prove. Nothing. Except for the fact that Jesus loves us and none of us deserve it. So I want to I I challenge you right here before we move on. If, if the Holy Spirit is bringing a situation or a person or a relationship to mind this morning that you think, hey, we're just not there yet, and you really haven't done what the Scriptures call you to, I want to encourage you to do that. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by just brushing it off again because there's something to be gained for you in that attempt to be reconciled and trusting the Holy Spirit to make you one with uh, His church. Let's keep moving on. Uh, the, the, the second thing that's worth fighting for according to Philippians 4 is wholeness. And the way that I'm describing wholeness is, is peace that's on the inside peace that's on the inside. Now he says this, rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now the word for reasonableness is actually gentleness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now let's just stop. I mean, how beautiful would it be for us to contend in an argument or a conversation with someone and they come back later and they thank you for saying, man, I just appreciate how gentle you were with me when I was working through that. I mean, I just appreciate that you, you were just, you just, you just kind of let me be me where I was at, and you were gentle with me as we contended for what we thought the truth to be in the situation. What would that look like? The, the Holy Spirit wants to do that work in you because that's a fruit of the Spirit. So when the, 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 the Spirit comes alive inside of us, He wants to produce His fruit. Gentleness is one of those fruits that He wants to produce. So let your reasonableness be known to, to everyone. And then he goes back to this idea that God is so near that that changes things. He says, the Lord is at hand. He's close. He's near. The Lord is at hand. And then this, this verse that's, 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 that's key for us right now. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what is anxiety? What is it? A lot of us know the feeling. A lot of us know what it means to be anxious. We've experienced it. 
Let me paint some vignettes for you. It's, it's the feeling that you have when you come back after a vacation and, and know that you didn't meet your quarterly numbers and you're just wondering if you're going to have a job when you get back. It's, it's the feeling of knowing that the bank account doesn't look like it has enough money to pay the debts that you have this month. It's the feeling of knowing you gave it all on a test or on a performance review, but it didn't seem to be enough. It's the feeling of having a child that seems to be headed in an ungodly direction, even though you've done everything that you know that you could possibly do. It's the feeling of having, not having the friendships that you long for, even though you've really put yourself out there to be known and to know others. It's the feeling of desperately wanting to be married, yet running into dead ends at every single corner. It's the feeling of not having a marriage that looks like your friend's marriage, even though you seek to love and to serve one another deeply. Anxiety occurs in our lives anytime on the inside our loyalties are divided. We desire one thing, but we experience another thing. In fact, when you look at the Greek language, that, that word anxious is this word merino, and what it means is to be pulled apart from the whole. To be pulled into pieces. So, so think about that image. When we're anxious, we're being pulled apart on the inside. And the Scriptures say that Jesus wants to make us whole. Now, now I do want to say this. I know that there are clinical diagnoses for anxiety. I'm not belittling those things, but I'm just saying in general, in general, that's what's happening when we're experiencing anxieties. We're being pulled apart from the inside and our, our reality and what our expectations are in two different places. And Jesus, my friends, wants to meet us in the middle of it. Corey Ten Boom says this, worry or you could replace it with anxiety, does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. So what do we do when we're pulled apart on the inside? Let's go to number three. The third thing that we fight for is awareness. Seeking and savoring the God of peace. So, So instead of letting anxiety take hold of our lives and pull us away, there's a different route for Christians. He says this, but in everything, verse 6, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, this is really important. Let your requests be made known to God. That is an imperative in the Greek language. Do you know what that means? That means that, that there's a conditional clause that's coming after that imperative. So our responsibility as Christians is to labor to make our requests be made known to God. That's our responsibility. Now, if I told you that there was a cure for what you were experiencing and you didn't do it, it would be foolish, right? If there was, there was something that you could do to change your reality, it'd be foolish not to do it. Well, the Scriptures say that our responsibility is to make our requests be made known to God. And then, the peace of God, oh, and by the way, the peace of God surpasses understanding all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So our longing is for our hearts and our minds to be guarded by our Heavenly Father. But the Scriptures say we've got to make our requests be made known to God. 
Now, listen, this is not a sermon on prayer because, listen, I know how to make us all feel like garbage. I could have, I could have a three-week sermon series. I would start with evangelism. The second week, I'd move on to uh, tithing. And then the third week, if you weren't feeling bad enough, I'd say, hey, we need to pray more as a church. We can, I'm, not, I'm not into doing that. I'm not into shaming anyone in here. But it's for our good and God's glory and for our joy that we make our request be made known to God. That's our part in it. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, and Luther was like this blunt, I mean, you had to be a blunt uh, German uh, to go against the entire Roman Catholic Church. You know what I mean? You really did. He says, pray and let God worry. (laughs) I love it. Pray and let God worry. So what would it look like right now for you, church? We're all experiencing some measure of anxiety being pulled apart or conflict being pulled apart from the outside in our lives. We all are experiencing that. We could all name a situation that's, that's uh, not letting us rest right now. What would it look like for us to make our request known to God right now uh, exactly where we're at instead of where we hope to be? Let me give you an example. My kids, I, I love... our. Our kids have gotten into this habit where they each pray at dinner every night, and I love it. Because for the longest time, we couldn't get them to pray anything, you know, and, and, uh, except just scream and start eating their dinner when we're trying to pray. Um, but now they, they're in this habit of everyone prays, and, and sometimes the prayers sound a little bit like this. Father, I thank you that we're going to Stone Mountain tomorrow, that we're going to Chick-fil-A tomorrow after that for lunch, and that we're going to get ice cream after that. Father, I thank you. Amen. So it's like this, it's like, hey, mom and dad, I want to remind you while we're praying of what you promised about tomorrow. But it's not like sitting in today where we're at. And so it's like, well, it's better than nothing. At least they're engaging with God and we're, we're, they're hopeful, they're excited. So we get it. We don't want to alter their prayers. But the thing that they do is they fail to realize that, that God wants to meet us right here today. And sometimes I think when we pray, if we're honest, we, 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 we pray about the life that we hope to have instead of the life that we have. We pray about the, the feelings that we want to describe us instead of the feelings that really are our reality. What would it look like for us to be honest before our Father in Heaven? To, to let our request be made known to God right where we're at. Right where we're at, where we feel offended, where we feel hurt, where we feel like the Lord hasn't dealt us a fair hand. What would it, what would it look like for you actually to be real with God? Because He can handle it. He can, he can handle you making yourself known. Listen, I just want to encourage you with two passages right here. Cast your This is Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. It's conditional. Cast your burden, He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You're not going to move God by praying some prayer that you wish you didn't have to pray because you wished you were in another place than you actually are. You can be honest with Him. Or 1 Peter 5 says a very similar thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So, So prayer is about pushing pride down, okay? We don't like to be needy, do we? When we pray, it's, it's, it is a signal of our dependence upon God. And so he's saying that one of the things that we do when we pray is that we're humbling ourselves 
so that we can be exalted by God instead of exalting ourselves by not praying and trying to act humble about it. He says, cast all of your anxieties on Him. And why should you do that, church? Because He cares for you. Do you believe that God cares for you today? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Jesus loves His church so much that while we were being pulled apart with anxiety on the inside and pulled apart with conflict on the outside, that Jesus, his, his body was pulled apart on the cross so we could be made whole with God, that we could be reconciled to the Father. Jesus was pulled apart so that we could be made whole. Now when I think about casting, when I think about praying, I think about bowling. Have you, you guys ever been bowling with a group of friends before? Our, this past summer, a group of the guys in the church went bowling, and it was, it was hysterical. It was great. It was a good time. But, but whenever, you, whenever you bowl, I mean, you're getting up, and you've you know, you got your form, and, and you're bowling it, and, and after you bowl the ball, you've let go of the ball. It's no longer on your finger unless you have one of those where it kind of gets stuck, and it just gets all awkward. Uh, but, but when you bowl the ball, I mean, it's, it's, it's gone. I mean, there's nothing you can do to bring it back, but how many of you, when, when you bowl it, you're like, go over that way. And you're, you're kind of waving your hands and you're, and you're trying to make the ball do all kinds of sorts of crazy things even though the ball's already out of your hand. That's what it looks like to cast your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. That's what it looks like for us to, to, to depend upon the Lord and let our request be made known. That's the promise for us. The security that we have is that He cares for us. The promise is that the peace of God, which is what we all desire, it's more than just a lack of conflict. It is a wholeness that we experience. It's shalom that we experience. That, that Hebrew word that means a holistic wholeness, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I have a friend Actually, my best friend, he's, he's a church planter in Lexington, Kentucky, and we support his church as a church. It's, his church is called Commonwealth City Church. And uh, recently, um, <clears throat> he found out that his sister, who is, uh, she's not even out of pharmacy school yet. She's in her mid-20s, and her husband is a teacher at a local high school there in his mid-20s. They just found out that Tom has stage 4 lymphoma as a 20-something-year-old. I mean, you're thinking, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? And what I'm reminded of in these situations is that I, I tend to really want to lean in and listen to people that are going through something tough. Because they've probably got something to share that's going to be way more meaningful. And she says this in a blog post this week, and she was quoting Philippians 4, that, that, that whole idea of making our requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God surpassing all understanding. Here was, here was what she said. You don't have to understand the situation to experience the peace of God. You don't have to understand it. What would it look like for us to be okay not understanding what's going on? What's going on in our country? What's going on uh, in, in, in the spiritual warfare that we're experiencing? What's going on in the conflict that's around us? We long for peace. We make a request be made known to God and we trust God to bring peace because that's His job, not ours. There's nobody that I know uh, well, actually, I don't know this guy either, but there's no one that I've read that, uh, 
that talks more about the presence of God than this, uh, this, um, <clears throat> this monk that was in Paris from the 1600s. His name is Brother Lawrence. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was, uh, he wanted to be a formal kind of clerical monk, but his education was so low that he, got, he, he had to serve in the kitchen of the monastery. He had to wash dishes and fix his brother's sandals. That was his job. He, has a, he had a quote above his kitchen, okay? Or above his kitchen sink that said this, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. I mean, what a holy man to, to see his role like that. Well, Brother Lawrence once said this in a book that he wrote called Practicing the Presence of God. He said, you need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. Let's go to the Lord with that in mind.